Well, if you guys weren't here at the very beginning, which I know some of you guys come in a little bit late. Again, my name is Jeremy Sides. I am the worship director here. And I get the privilege of bringing you the second installment to the series called the Storm Survival Guide. Uh, and this series is all about how we take some of the biggest storms in the Bible and the people went through them, take what they learned and see how we can apply that to the metaphorical storms that we go through every day. Whew. Sorry, that's all I had to get through. I got through that, now everything else I can just make up. We're good. <laughs> John gave me like one line, did you gotta say this? I was like, okay, well I got it. Metaphorical, there you go, metaphorical storms. Um, if you missed last week, John talked about Paul and how he went through the shipwreck on the way to, to Rome and uh, how you gotta trust in God's purpose in some of those storms that he's trying to get you through, he's trying to teach you something. If you missed it, you can go to the website. Uh, we have the audio and the video there. You can listen to it while you're at work. Um, or while you're working out, or in a way to work. That's a good way to get caught up if you missed it. Um, also, if you don't know, on the Bible app on your phone, uh, you can go to events. If you download the app, go to events, find Carolina Family Church. It ha- gives you the ability to go through uh, all the notes. You can take notes, all the verses, everything's on there. Um, so if you didn't have your Bible, you can follow along that way. So that brings us to what I talk about. I get to talk about the biggest, baddest, mother of all storms. The first one, the flood. I know some of you just turned off, turned your brains off, and I get it because we've heard a lot about the flood, right? If you're anything like me and you grew up in Sunday school, you learned about the flood on one of these things. That is a felt board, folks. I am that old, that's right. Some of you are old enough to be teaching me on that felt board. Some of you don't have a clue what a felt board is. Well, it's a board made of felt. That's how we did things back then. We didn't have iPads and TVs and things like that. Some of you didn't grow up in Sunday school, but you've had the opportunity to learn about Noah from movies. And you think he looks like this. I can promise you that is not what Noah looks like. You know how I know? Because that's Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe was a fine actor. I love The Gladiator. It was a great movie, right? That's where we got this from. But that is not Noah. We don't know what Noah looked like because Olin Mills was not present on the boat. There's another old joke for you. Olin Mills has been around a long time. They were on the ark. And there were no cell phones, so we don't have kids taking selfies with the animals all day long. Thousands and thousands of selfies. So we don't have that to go by, and there are no, we have yet to discover any cave character drawings when they got off the ark. So we don't know what Noah looked like. But to get you caught up to speed on this whole flood thing, I have spent all week creating this animation for you, okay? So just pay real close attention. Here we go. Check it out. I think... What happened to it? Click back on it. Man, this is going to be a bummer if it doesn't happen. I know. I worked all week on it. Oh, it's just, it's just going by. Mm. That's a shame. It worked in every other, pl- every other place I did it. It worked. It's not working right now. Jeremy Jacob, we done with that? Man, that's a shame. That's fine. Well, it was a joke, believe it or not. It wasn't an animation that I created. It was a 
That's not it. <laughs> I didn't create that either. It was a kid's character. You know that Lord told Noah, you're going to do not something, something. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about, TJ? Yeah. It's so funny. I really wish you could see it. But it was basically the song that everybody gets taught in Sunday school when they're little about, the, about Noah and the ark. And it is almost 0% true. 0%. One of the lines is, God told Noah to get the kids out of the muddy, muddy. That did not happen. I Google searched it, okay? I made sure. And no matter how many cool dances you put to kids' songs, it doesn't make the song true, right? If they're out there doing Fortnite dances to kids' songs in Sunday school, it doesn't make what's going on any truer. I was also going to do a Fortnite dance for you, but I feel like I'm not going to do that now. That that was canceled. I'm just going to go right by it. Yeah, right? So when we talk about the flood, some of these things are almost so big that we just chalk them up to kids' songs, learn about them in Sunday school, and then move on. Well, I can tell you that the flood is very real. Uh, I volunteer in the youth minister here. I've, there's some kids in here I saw. I'm going to give a plug for the youth real quick that don't come to youth. Let me tell you something. You should come. It's fun. Yeah, there you go. We have a good time. You might get a hit in the face with a dodgeball, but you'll learn something, right? And you'll have a snack and you'll make some friends. Uh, and I have the privilege of teaching the middle school boys. Uh-huh. We just went through this uh, series called Faith and Science. It's all learning out how faith and science can coexist. And I was sitting at a table across from these middle school boys, and I asked the question, hey, how do you think we can better explain the gap between, like, faith and science to middle school boys? Like, that's a big question, right? And I get the answer, no joke. Uh, what about the aliens? <laughs> like, What? What, what part of that question, ha huh? And uh, I'm not familiar with, I, I didn't, you know, I had, when I got married, Monica, I immediately had a 15-year-old. So I never really went through that stage. So sometimes my communication with middle schoolers is not so great. So when they asked about the aliens and everybody else, like, oh yeah, aliens. I'm like, I don't really know how to answer that. One of them, I have to tell you this, just because it was the funniest thing I have ever heard in my life. We were in here in a different series, talking to the middle school kids, and we asked a really tough question, and one of the kids, who was one of the younger ones, gave us a perfect two-minute explanation. Perfect. Mike Brown was helping me. I turned and looked at him. I was like, man, I don't think I could have said it that well. Turned back and looked at him, and without skipping a beat, he said, yeah, I just made that all up. <laughs> I thought that's what you wanted to hear, so I made, I made something up that you wanted to hear. And then never smiled. And I turned to Michael Brown, and I was like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. I don't know that I should be laughing right now, but it was funny. So come to youth. We have a lot of fun. Uh, I feel the same way sometimes about talking to somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible, who maybe thinks they're really smart, because they won't believe in anything that, that you can't put in a box or you can't explain. They don't believe in something that you can't see. Faith is something just they have no idea what you're talking about. Well, the flood is one of those things that I don't have to worry about that. Because every religion, every civilization, every culture, every country, every region has a flood narrative. It happened. You can tell me all day that it didn't, but it did. 
The highest peak in the world has sea algae and sea fossils embedded in the limestone because it was once covered in water. There was a humongous storm that wiped the slate clean, changed the earth completely. Everything we know about what we have now was different before the flood. It happened. So get over it. Let's move on. Next part of the story, right? We're all in agreement with that. The flood was real. Despite the kids thing, you can't see. I'm really bummed about that, man. It's going to haunt me the rest of the service. I'm sorry. So before we get to Noah and what's going on in the flood, I want to give you a little uh, explanation of what life was like at that moment. Because there's only two chapters between Adam and Eve and the flood. So we just breeze by it sometimes. We just blow over it, go past it. But there's a lot going on in those two chapters. And for those of you who don't know, recap, Adam and Eve, right? We're in the garden. They had the biggest screw up of all time. They failed the biggest fail you could possibly fail. And then came out of the garden and you would think they would have been like, hey, maybe we should fix that. Maybe we should find a way to kind of have a relationship with God, a way to bridge that gap. Maybe we should fix what we messed up. But that's not what happened. The first thing we see is Cain killing Abel, right? Two brothers killing each other because one was jealous of an offering the other one made that God liked and the other one didn't. So he killed him. And from there it just goes just off the cliff. By the time we get to Noah, it is utter chaos. It is the worst of the worst. I don't know if any of you have seen The Purge. I haven't seen it, but I know what it's about. There's a couple of them. It's basically you get one day to do whatever you want. No rules, no guidelines, no mercy, no nothing. And what they try, to, they try to show us in that is that our base nature, given no rules, would be we take whatever we want. We do whatever we want. No accountability. We don't have to pay for it the next day. And that our base nature is evil. Well, that's what's happening there, okay? That's what ha- is happening. That is actually happening in Noah's time. Everything is off the rails. And if you want to follow along with me, Genesis 6 is where we're going. I'm going to read some verses. In that moment, this is exactly what was happening. This is what God says. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every, every intent, not just a couple of them, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every single thought was evil. Every one of them. Not just one or two. All of his thoughts were evil. Verse 6, and the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. That's a big statement. God was sorry he made us, and it hurt his feelings. He was disappointed in us. Those of you who are parents, you know what it's like to be disappointed at a child. He was disappointed at all of his children, all evil. All thoughts continually evil. So this is what he said. I will destroy man who I created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. That is a huge verse, a couple of verses. God has come out of the garden and said, I am sorry that I made you. 
Now, when I first started uh, researching this and started getting ready for this message, I had, the, had it in my head that the people that were in the flood, right, this great storm that wiped everybody off the face of the planet, I, it was like Rowan County, right? I mean, I, come on, I, you, we don't spend that much time in this. I didn't think about it. Nobody's ever sat down and explained to me the mathematics to it, the equations. I thought it was Salisbury. It's only 10 generations from Adam and Eve. Noah is 10 generations back, which for us, if you think about it, you know, it could be 200, 300 years, 10 generations. But these people before the flood lived to be 800, 900 years old. So 10 generations for them is like 1,600 years. And if you're having kids from, say, your teenager to early 20s till some of them 800 1,600 kids, exactly. Lord wasn't kidding when he cursed them with childbirth when they come out of the Garden of Eden, right? That's a bunch of people. It's so many people that I have a number for you, actually. On the low scale, low scale, 750 million. That blew me away. 750 million people? You know how many people are in the United States? 330. It's twice the size over of the United States, and that is minimum. That is minimum. That's lowballing it. So, out of 750 million people, they are all evil. I can't, it's something I can't even imagine. I can't even think about a place where so, there's so many people and all of them are evil. God does not exist in anybody's hearts. But then there was one. One guy. Look at this next verse. Verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One guy. Second Peter 2.5 calls him, it actually says preacher of righteousness, but if you take that to the right translation in the Greek, it's called herald or announcer. Basically, he was someone who spoke about God. When you talk to him, you realize he was different. He wasn't afraid to tell you about God. Out of all those people, just him. It just, it sounds so, so big that it can't be true, but it is. How do you put that into context? Out of 750 million people, there's one person that's different. And you know what happens in our culture and humanity when we have one person who's different? It's amazing what we do. Every other thing we look at, animals, one blue eye, one brown eye, man, that, you're the, that's the prettiest dog I've ever seen. We have goats, one's multicolored, rest, different than the rest of them. We think that is one in a million. But when one of us is different, we ostracize them. We bully them. We ridicule them. We don't include them. Noah lived that every day of his life. He was different, and in a way that is extremely different to a people, to a humanity of wickedness, to evil. One good, one good person. Look what happens next. Verse 13, God shows up, says to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. 
For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I'll destroy them with the earth. TJ, come here. Yep. No, you look, you look fantastic. You look fantastic. So you're Noah for a second. I'm God. Come up. Hey, man, what's going on? Chilling. Yeah. Uh, hey, so I need you to build me a boat. Okay? With what? We don't know he's a carpenter, right? With the trees that are around here. Okay. Okay, so it's trees. It's going to take you 120 years to build it. I'm a busy guy. Cool? Nope. 120 years, all right? You're going to build it, and then you're going to get on it after you get multiples of all the animals in the world. Right? Cool? Today? We good? Yeah, start. you're going to start today. Okay. And then I'm going to send a flood and kill everybody else, but you and your family. And then you're going to have to start over from scratch and be the father of all nations. How does that make you feel? Scared yet? I'm a busy guy. Yeah. 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 That's what TJ would have said. Thanks, buddy. That's what I would have said. What? You want me to what? We don't see anywhere it says Noah was a carpenter. You need to build a boat. It's going to take you 120 years. That's a big boat. Yeah. TJ was like, I'm out. I'm not building a boat. And then you have to get all the animals. And you're going to put them on the boat. And just you and your family are going to get on. And the boat doesn't have a steering wheel. Ever notice that? boat didn't have a steering wheel. It, he couldn't steer it. God steered it. It just floated. Its purpose was to save them from a flood that wiped out everybody else. But we know one thing about Noah. He was a herald of righteousness. So look what it says. The writer of Hebrews says this, this about him in 11.7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah was a faithful dude. And he was the only one that believed in God out of 750 million plus. So what does a faithful God do when God tells you to build an ark? You build it. You start working. Imagine that. Imagine being the only guy who's getting made fun of all the time and then all of a sudden you start building a boat when there's no water. At this point, we don't think it ever rained. And I don't know if I'm a sucker for cheesy movies. I don't know if you guys are or not. You've seen Evan Almighty? You should. It's pretty good. It's not historically correct. That's okay. There's a point where he starts building a boat at the end of his cul-de-sac, right? This is how I picture Noah. He's just building a boat in the dirt, not next to any water. And these people are coming by and laughing at him. And he's like, whatever. You should probably repent. It doesn't say that anybody else was going to be able to get on the boat. God never gave anybody else that opportunity. So he probably wasn't walking around preaching. He had to build a boat. 
So he built it. And at some point, that boat was finished. At what point, if you're his neighbors, at what point do you start thinking you might be in trouble? (laughs) At least when it starts raining. Hey, man, see that boat? This is what I picture, like two guys (laughs) drinking some old grape juice with the fireplace. You know, they got a fire. I don't know if they had fire then. They had a fire. I don't know. You tell me. They had a fire? All right, they have fire. Hey, man, just watching them build this boat. Got nothing better to do. Hey, man, looks like you got that boat finished. Look at all those animals. Is that the point you get scared? When the animals are coming onto the boat? What about when the door shut? Start getting scared then? It says God shut the door. You see this door magically levitate, shut. You might start getting a little nervous. But you're right. I think you get the most nervous when it starts raining. Oh, crap. And in the stories, you see people banging on the side of the boat while it's raining and the water's starting to come up. I mean, I don't know. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the kid's song either, so I don't know what happened. But... The Bible says the earth opened up. The floodgates were, that were held back were released. I think it was a massive wave of water. And people were going like that. Everything gone. Completely changed the earth from the atmosphere to the topography. Everything changed. So Noah went from being in this storm of being the only one that's righteous into an actual storm where he's stuck on a boat in a confined space with his close family. Do I even need to say anything about that? (laughs) Probably not. For some of you, it's good. I like my mom. I like my dad. I like my wife's mom. But, you know, anything in a close, anything for a long period of time is too much, Right? And if it's a bad thing, it's really bad. And on top of that, you've got the animals that you have to take care of. And if you don't know what that's like, come by my house later on. I'll let you muck one stall. Just one's all I need. I want you to do the rest of them. But one's all it would take to let you see that this is not fun. It sounds fun. See little goats and sweaters jumping around on Facebook. That looks so much fun. The goats, little baby goats are so much fun. Yeah. They cost money and they poop a lot. <laughs> you don't get that on Facebook, though. All you see is little sweaters, Christmas sweaters on goats. That is what he is doing on the boat. And then you all know what happens, right? 150 days. 150 days of that. And the water finally starts going down. Boat lands on a mountain. Doors open. He comes out, offers an offering to God, praises God. God has the rainbow in the sky, says, this is a covenant to you, but I'll never do this again. Everything was fine and dandy, right? No. Noah had to start over. He had nothing He completely started over his entire life. No house, 
no car, no garden, no nothing, no food. He went from a storm of evil to a storm on a boat to a storm of nothing. He had nothing. You know, it's, it's easy when you're in a storm caused by yourself to figure out how to get out of it. Because you know the steps you have to take to move, if you will, to get out of a storm when you're the one causing it. But it's harder to get out of a storm that's not your fault. Noah's entire life was based on a storm that wasn't his fault. He was on all these highs and lows. He was on low before he got on the boat. Probably when he was on low trying to build the boat. Then he was saved, all of a sudden he's on a high, then he lands and he's got to start all over. And he has the pressure of being the father of all of us. And if he misses it, he messes us all up. That's a lot of pressure. So one of the next things he does is he has a vineyard, he gets drunk, which makes me believe he is just like us. He's just a person who is just more righteous than everybody else. He's just a person. Some of you guys are in a storm caused by other people right now. I'll give you some examples. Maybe you're a kid and you picked the wrong friends and those friends got you in trouble and now you're paying for it. Or maybe you're a parent of those kids and those kids got in trouble and now you're paying for it. Literally. You didn't cause that storm. It's happening nonetheless and you're in the middle of it. Or maybe you're at a job and your boss does something dumb in the, in the business caves. That's not your fault. But you still have to deal with it. What if somebody cheats on you? You're in a relationship and somebody cheats on you. That's not your fault. But you're having to pay for it. And you're in a storm that you didn't cause that you don't know how to get out of. You don't know how to fix it. Or maybe you're around somebody that's addicted to something. Addiction kills, man. That is a huge storm. And if you're an innocent bystander of it, you get caught up in it because someone you love is addicted to something. Those are storms you don't know how to get out of. So let me give you a way out. What's the point, Jeremy? I'm getting there. This wouldn't be church if I didn't give you a way out, right? So when you're in a storm caused by others, this one better work, have faith and hold on. It's not there yet. There it is. Thank you. I got one. (laughs) Have faith and hold on. And I know what you're saying. It's a very churchy answer. Last week's point was trust in God's purpose. I think. Trust God God has a purpose for you in that storm. This one is have faith and hold on. I get it. It's a churchy answer. But guess what? This is church. Okay? You're going to get a churchy answer in church, but let me explain that. 
let me explain it a little more. And I know that I want to identify with you guys a little bit because I'm just like you guys. I just happen to be standing up here. And I know it's easy for me to say these things. It's much harder for me to, to live it. So I'm going to let you in on a little insider information. Because really, all you see from our lives, if you follow my wife on Facebook, is little bouncing goats in sweaters. And everything looks fine and dandy and hunky-dory until you dig into it. Before we moved here, we lived out in Fort Mill, and I was at a church. We were at a church that I could kind of disappear in. Huge church. I had been burnt out a little bit. I was working full-time in ministry, and I was, ex- was kind of glad to be in a church I could do nothing, which is completely opposite of the way I feel about it now. And we had a good life. Had a house, had a bunch of friends, had a good church, had a good job, and we were just living life. And then my mom called and said, hey, you know, I could really use some help on the, uh, on the farm helping your grandfather. She didn't call me, she called my wife because she knows what I would have said. Because I got out of Rockwell, I grew up here, and I really didn't want to come back. That was just the way I felt about it. I lived in Charlotte, I kind of liked that lifestyle, and it was fun. So she called my wife and said, hey, if you come back and live around here, you can have use of the farm. And my wife said, hey, we're moving. <laughs> Literally. I said, yes, ma'am. And we moved back. And all of a sudden, we had a completely different new life. We got into the farm. It started becoming our lifestyle. I started trying to do produce. And we had started getting all these animals. And it became something that was just habit, right? Every day at the barn, every morning, every night. Hard work, but it's fun. You like it. You see your face light up when she holds a baby goat or when she snuggles with a horse. That is like her dream. And she has it. And if she's happy, I'm happy. So everything's all good. And then we found this church. Started from the ground up. And now I'm standing up here, which is something I was supposed to be doing anyway. God had a plan. But in that plan, come storms. Storms that I didn't cause. I'm just a part of it. Friday, my mom called and said, the grandfather's not doing so well. Okay, we've known that for a little while. That's why she needed help with him. Had to take him to the hospital. Okay. Monday, she calls me and says, hey, we're having to move him into the uh, VA home, state home at the VA for good. Okay. I don't know if any of you have gone through that, but there's a lot that comes with it. And what comes with that is money. It costs a lot of money to keep people up. It does. And guess what? I don't own that farm. The farm is not mine. I have spent countless dollars fixing the fences, 
redo in the barn because we love it and that's what we want to do, but it's not mine. That's how I feel about it. So now we're faced with the, the problem that we could have to sell everything just to have the money to take care of my grandfather, which is something we would obviously do. Not that we have a choice. But what we moved here for, the thing that brings us the most joy in our lives, is going to be gone very quickly. That brings a lot of feelings up. One of the biggest ones is I can't take care of my wife. Because the thing that bothers, that makes her the most happy is something I can't afford to give her. It hurts my feelings constantly. Because I, I cannot stand to see her not smile like that. That's a big deal to me. And it's a big deal to her. And it could be gone just like that, and there's nothing I can do about it. But I know one thing. God didn't bring me here for that farm. He brought me here for you. He brought you here for me. I need you. I need to do this with you. This is why we're here. The farm's just part of it. So if it's gone, it's gone. And that's a storm I'll have to deal with. And it's going to be tough to deal with it. But I will. And I'll have faith and I'll hold on to that very churchy answer. Because I trust God. And I have faith that he has a reason for it. See, the moral of that whole Noah story to me is that he could have just done this. He could have just snapped his fingers and reset everything with Noah. He could have just put Noah on the other side. Said, you're good. So why didn't he do that? If he would have done that for Noah, I don't think Noah would have been ready to be the father of all of us. I think God used those situations to build him up so that when he got on the other side, he would be prepared and be ready for everything that was to come. So God doesn't always cause the storms. He lets us do that to each other sometimes. And he doesn't always just do this. Although sometimes he does. But if you have faith and hold on in that moment, you can believe that he's going to use you for something else. He's preparing you for something. I don't know what he's preparing us for. But I hope it's something big because he's going to take the farm from us. That'd be really sad. But I'm going to have faith and hold on. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to come into a safe space and to learn more about you. 
Some of us are going through storms right now. We're going through storms and we don't, we don't have a way out. We don't see a way out. Please just know that if you just have faith and hold on, just have faith and hold on and know that God has the best things for you in mind. That he is the way out. And just hold on to him and believe that he is building you up to be the best you can be for the situation he's getting ready to give you. Have faith in him and hold on. Amen. Hey, I really appreciate you guys letting me stand up here. This is a dream for me. Some of you guys are outside of the boat. Don't stay there. Jesus says something about Noah. He says one thing. He says, when God comes back, it'll be like that. Let me tell you something. That's where we're living. It looks like the times of Noah. Don't get caught outside the boat. If you need to figure out how to get in the boat, come see me. If you're in the boat, I can't see you, but look right here. If you're in the boat and you are not swinging a hammer, pick a hammer up. All right? Because when you get in the boat, we have to big the, build the boat bigger, which means you got to build your own space. What I mean by that is get on a team. Join a small group. That's part of building the boat. If you're in a storm and you turn around and there is no one there, it's because you did not pick up a hammer. Because I promise you, if you pick up a hammer, when you get in a storm, you'll have all the other people that you're on a team with surrounding you. I promise you that. I'll be there. Pick a hammer up. There's a table out there with information on how you can do that. All right? Thank you guys so much. Have a good day. See you later.